This is Beyond Belief Sobriety, a podcast and community for people who are seeking or who have found a secular path to recovery from addictions of all kinds. Hello, and thank you for spending some time listening to our podcast. I hope it's a good experience for you and that it adds a little something extra to your stockpile of recovery capital. The episode that you're about to hear was actually recorded some two years ago for another podcast I was doing at the time called My Secular Sobriety. I stopped producing that podcast since the material covered on Beyond Belief Sobriety is pretty much the same thing. Anyway, before we get started in talking about what this episode is covering, I would like to thank our sponsor, Soberlink. If you're seeking a tangible way to maintain accountability and prove sobriety to loved ones, you have to try Soberlink. If you haven't heard of Soberlink, they've created a remote alcohol monitoring system that revolutionizes the way people document sobriety. The system includes a breathalyzer and uses artificial intelligence to display your test results in a calendar format, helping you analyze your habits and prove to yourself and others that you are, in fact, not drinking. It even has real-time results, facial recognition, and tamper detection, so no one will question the validity of your results. Soberlink and I have created a guide called Five Tools and Strategies for Those on a Secular Path to Recovery that you can find at Soberlink.com BBS. If you're ready to take the next step in your recovery journey, mention the Beyond Belief Sobriety podcast when ordering Soberlink, and you'll receive $50 off their device. My guest for this episode was Katie Lane. She's an advocate and mentor for the Sinclair Method, which is a means for treating alcohol use disorder based on the principle of pharmacological extinction. Those who use this method to treat AUD, alcohol use disorder, will take the drug naltrexone one hour prior to drinking. Naltrexone is an opiate blocker that over time removes one's craving for alcohol. Katie started with the Sinclair Method in August of 2017, and she found the experience to be personally transformative. Realizing that more people needed to know about this method for treating alcohol use disorder, Katie bravely went public with her story. Through her YouTube channel and website, Katie has not only helped spread the word about the Sinclair Method, but she's also built a supportive community for others. And now, episode 259, The Sinclair Method with Katie Lane. Our guest today is Katie Lane. She's an advocate and mentor for the Sinclair Method, and you can learn more about her at her website, embodydaily.com. I would also encourage you to subscribe to her YouTube channel, where you'll find videos that she's produced on the subject and discover an ever-growing community of people who use the Sinclair Method to remove alcohol as a problem from their lives. Hi, Katie. Thank you so much for joining me. And Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Did I do a good job of briefly describing the Sinclair method? Yeah, you've described it very succinctly. And that's essentially the the ABCs of how it works when someone has never heard about it and they want to understand, you know, just the very basics of what this method is. And I'm happy, obviously, to dive into more of the fundamentals of it as well as we get through this. Well, you have done a lot of work on this. I first learned about the Sinclair method, I think it was maybe about five years ago, and there really wasn't a lot out there on YouTube or any any place really that talked about the Sinclair Method. I met a mutual friend, Gary Bell, who 
taught me about the Sinclair method and, and shared with me his experience with it. And he told me about you, which uh, was a great find. As I started reading your website and watching your videos, I was pretty impressed about just the body of material that you've put out there. It's pretty incredible. Well, thank you. You know, like you said, there wasn't a lot of content five years ago. And when I discovered this method about two and a half years ago, coming up on three years, there wasn't very much content. And so I was kind of of the mindset that if this works for me, it's my duty to share it. And that's where my channel really started. Well, let's get into the story. And what better place to begin than the beginning? Can you go into a little bit about your story with alcohol use disorder, you know, and how you um, came upon the Sinclair method? Sure, absolutely. So um, I fell into alcohol dependence in my early 20s. I was someone who, even at my 21st birthday, I really didn't like drinking. I remember people trying to give me shots of alcohol and I was giving them away and just sipping on a light beer. So I didn't really care for alcohol when I first started drinking. But what happened was I um, happened to get into a relationship with someone who, you know, I'd consider an alcoholic in my early 20s. And I kind of picked up his behavior of drinking. So really started partying really hard and drinking every day and drinking till blackout. And at the time, I was of the mindset that, you know, oh, this is just a phase. This is what people do at my age. I'll, I'll get over it as, you know, in a few years or whatever. And what I realized was after a few years of heavy drinking, that I had a really hard time quitting. And I was trying to take breaks, whether it be, you know, not drinking during the week or taking a month of sobriety. And I noticed that I was really battling alcohol cravings and was obsessively thinking about alcohol, essentially every waking minute. And I would just immediately, as soon as the break was over, sometimes I wouldn't even make it, you know, a full week or a full month. Um, I would immediately go back and start binging and the cycle would kind of serve itself all over again. And so that's when I really realized, oh no, I I think I have a problem. Like I was drinking every day. I had a really hard time taking a break. I was craving it when I wasn't drinking. So this cycle kind of went on for, for about, it was a 10 year, about a, de- a decade long battle of struggling with alcohol dependence um, where I'd kind of try to quit or cut down and I might be successful, but I was essentially using a lot of willpower and again, really battling those cravings and being triggered and feeling like I was missing out on, you know, not being able to drink if I was trying to abstain. Um, And a part of that too was, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't moderate my drinking. If I was going to have, if I, my my intention was to have two glasses of wine, more often than not, I'd have a bottle or more. And even if I was successful with moderating, um, it would be really white knuckled and I'd be like, okay, I'm not going to have any more. And the bottle would be in the kitchen and I'd be obsessing about it. And you know, just doing everything in my willpower not to have more. So yeah, you know, like many people who've struggled with this, I was looking for a solution, something that might be able to help because I tried everything. You know, I I did try AA, you know, a handful of times, not a bunch, but the meetings in my area, I was in my 20s and it was a bunch of much older like men basically. And I was like, this isn't really my crowd. So I tried AA, I tried spiritual retreats, meditation, um, tons, like countless hours of inspirational talks and other groups and Buddhism and other spiritual communities. I tried everything to try to quit or moderate. Nothing worked. And that's when I was on YouTube, really just searching for people who had stories of success with moderating or quitting alcohol. And lo and behold, I found Claudia Christian, the actress who's been a huge advocate for the Sinclair Method. I found her TED Talk and that got me started on this method about almost three years ago. What's your experience been with it? Absolutely life-changing. Like 
it's hard to describe and I'm still at a loss, you know, this far into it, how much it's changed my drinking. Um, it was a gradual experience, you know, from, it took me a year essentially to quit drinking because I did go sober. Like you were talking about early in the podcast. Um, I was one of those people that I ended up going sober because I just got to the point where alcohol brought me nothing good anymore. And I genuinely was repulsed by it and genuinely preferred sobriety. And so it took me a year to get to that place. Other people, it takes much longer. Other people choose to moderate with it. Um, but for me, basically from the get-go, it was so empowering because I was able to, for the first time in a decade, I was able to control my drinking and in a way that wasn't obsessively using my willpower. It was like, no, I had two glasses of wine. I don't need any more. I'm good. And I could go days without drinking. And I noticed I wasn't craving it when I, when I wasn't drinking. It was just like, my, my world started to change. My mind started to expand far beyond this trap of alcohol addiction. I almost want to cry when I hear you. Uh, I was uh, 19 years old when I first started having uh, problems with alcohol. By the time I was 25, my life was absolutely impossible. And there wasn't a lot of options available at that time. And I ended up in AA and found myself incredibly uncomfortable. But I thought that was the only place I could go. If this had been there... For me, it would have been a game changer at that time. I just know it would have been. And I think it's fantastic that that we actually have this option available for people today. Me too. And I echo what you said. It's It breaks my heart that it's not more widely known. And I get emails every day from people asking me, why isn't this more well-known? I accidentally found your videos or found this article. And it's just slowly but surely, especially with the advocacy work, of Claudia Christian with her nonprofit. And that's my intention behind the work I do to really spread the word about this. And so, yeah, it's getting to be more well-known, but it definitely needs to be um, much, much, much more of a mainstream option. Especially in the United States, I think, um, because in the United States, doctors will use naltrexone, but they don't necessarily use it as it's intended with with the Sinclair method. And I'm wondering uh, if you know if there are more doctors around today in the United States that are aware of the Sinclair method and will actually prescribe it? Well, there are to some extent. So Claudia's nonprofit, C3Foundation.org, she has a directory of doctors who are specifically familiar with using naltrexone in the Sinclair method because some doctors will prescribe it, but it's prescribed daily with abstinence to help with cravings. And I would say more often than not, anecdotally, the stories I hear from people is they try to go to their general practitioner and more often than not, they're refused because their doctor doesn't, they don't have a lot of um, training in medical school about addiction, as far as I know from all the doctors I've talked to. And they don't feel comfortable giving someone a prescription and telling them to drink if they have a problem. They don't understand the whole principle of the pharmacological extinction and how it blocks the craving completely. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And some doctors are open-minded and they take their, cause there's lots of research out there about it if they want to just take time to, to look into it, but it's hit and miss. Some doctors are open-minded. Some are like, absolutely no, go to AA essentially. Which is bad because AA isn't treatment. Exactly. Group support. The Sinclair method truly is treatment. It's treatment and you're actually combining support behind it with all the work that you do, which is cool. Yeah, and it's it's evidence based. It's been tested and proven um, highly effective for most people. The efficacy rate is about seventy eight percent. So yeah, it it is it is treatment and it's effective treatment. When you go through it, is it like an immediate thing? So like um, on the first day that I would use naltrexone, 
I take it an hour before I go out to drink. On that first day, will I feel that I can drink normally or will it take some time? That's a great question. And I think it's a really important one because it's truly different for everybody. Some people will notice an immediate change where they're like, I would normally drink two bottles of wine and tonight I had a glass. Oh my God, this is amazing. And other people report that they didn't really notice a difference and is this going to work for me? And just because it doesn't work the first time or the first month or few months even doesn't mean it's not working. Everybody responds to the medication differently. And so um, in my experience, for me personally, I noticed a difference right away from day one. Um, I know plenty of people who don't. However, a year in, they're drinking 50% less than they were. So it's different for everybody. And it's important for people, I'd say, to not have expectations going into it because I've seen people want to give up after a few times. But really, I see a lot of physicians recommend you need to give it at least a solid nine months of compliance with the medication and having these pharmacological extinction sessions to really know, is this going to work for you? And as you know, drinking is complex. It's not just as simple as, oh, I need to reduce how much I'm going to drink. It has to do with why are we drinking, dealing with the emotional, the emotional aspect of it, the triggers, the traumas we're covering up, all of those things as they, they come up. And, and, and the habit of it, too. I think that's something people don't realize a lot is, yes, it's an addiction, but it's also an ingrained habit. So I've seen people who are on naltrexone, and they're not craving it. They don't want to drink, yet they still take the pill and drink every day because they don't know what else to do. Right, right, right. So you've got to build up a life outside of that. And, you know, that takes some, that takes some effort. So, yeah. There's a lot of uh, social aspect and socializing that's, that's connected to alcohol in particular. Um, something that is really cool that's going on now, which I also would have loved when I was in my 20s, there are um, coming up all the time alcohol-free bars and non-alcoholic beers. And I think society as a whole is getting a little bit better at understanding that alcohol might not always be such a healthy way to socialize and so forth. I mean, if, especially if you go into excess with it. Yeah, you're so you're so right about that. I couldn't agree more. It's, it's amazing. A lot of these bars, they have like healthy concoctions that are like nutrient wrench and um yeah, I see a lot of younger people realizing that alcohol isn't what we've kind of made it out to be. And so that's exciting to see. And people are understanding too, that alcohol use disorder really falls on a spectrum. It's not like so black and white, and it has always been presented black and white, you know, and, and, and that was my problem when I was 19 years old. And I thought that I might be having a problem with alcohol. I would tell myself, I'm too young, this can't be to be an alcoholic, you know, I've got to be the this older person like I am now. <laughs> and that wasn't actually the case because it truly is on a spectrum. And boy, I, I was one of those people who started early and it got bad early. And in a way, I'm kind of lucky that I was able to address it at that point in my life. Got it out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I, and I can understand how it would be different for different people. I know even like with antidepressant medication, uh, they will tell you, uh, like I take an antidepressant, they tell you that it takes some time for it to work. In my case, I almost noticed it immediately when I first went on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's an important point. I just want to say that you bring up the alcohol use disorder because there, I get a lot of emails too from people like, am I bad enough? Is my drinking bad enough to go on this method? And for me, that's the beauty of it because it's really up to you. Somebody might be drinking a bottle of wine a day and feel totally fine with it and not want to change a thing. Another person might feel like this is really hindering my life and I know I can do better. And so it's totally up to you. And I've seen people who are 
they binge once a month and that's problematic for them. And then people who are binging every day or every three days. And so it's really allows someone to take this method that doesn't force you to quit alcohol. It just helps you to drink at a level that you're happy with. And so it's not about someone telling you you're an alcoholic, you need help. It's saying, do I want to make changes in how my relationship to alcohol is impacting my life? I think it's nice that you have the power of choice in deciding where you're going to go with it. And I'm wondering how many people will continue drinking normally as opposed to those that just say they don't want it anymore and they just stop. You know, it's really interesting. I host groups weekly where folks come and join who are on this method from around the world. And I think I would say most people, just from my personal experience and anecdotally, most people can continue to drink moderately on this method, whether that be at weddings a couple times a year or only on the weekends or a couple times a week. I would say most people who are on this method, you know, a few years, they are drinking moderately and very rarely and saving it for a special occasion. Um, There are, I think, a smaller percentage of people, or maybe I just don't interact with them because they don't drink anymore. And so the the Sinclair method is moot point for them. But I see more people who maintain moderate drinking um, using naltrexone as opposed to just giving it for good. But for me, it was so easy to give it up because it was like, I was returned to the place I was in before I even ever had my first sip of alcohol where I forgot what it was like to really enjoy it and be drunk. And I didn't really like care for the taste anymore. And so I just, I was easily able to just be like, okay, I want to cut this out of my life now. It's doing me no good. And mind you, that was a year of, and still continuing to do a lot of inner work and healing and all of that. But it makes it so much easier when you don't desire something. Like I equate it to my least favorite food now, you know, a bottle of wine can be on the table and I don't want it. If someone offers it to me, I'm like, no, thank you. I don't miss it. It's like, it's like a food I don't enjoy anymore in a sense. So it's, it's really freeing. I can say that. I was watching one of your videos and after I watched the video, I actually changed the description of the podcast here. And I think I'm going to keep that. I used to say, uh, and this is a fairly new podcast. You say my secular sobriety and addiction recovery podcast and now I've changed that because the word recovery. And so now I say it, it's, it gives voice to the secular person overcoming addiction and unhealthy behaviors through reason, learning, and community. I love it. I'm kind of big on language because my experience when I was first getting sober and I did it through AA was learning to conform. I conformed to what everybody else was doing. I was talking their talk. And it took me a long time to retrain myself to talk like a normal person in my own language. You know, I'm not powerless. I don't need a higher power. And now this whole concept of recovery. And what what are your feelings about that and that word and how it applies to people that are dealing with alcohol use disorder or any other addiction? Yeah, I just want to say that's really interesting. You've kind of given me some food for thought and how you realized you were being more conforming in your recovery or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about it like that. But for me, for recovery, um, you know, I never felt like I was in recovery from this method because I felt like I recovered because I wasn't, again, I wasn't battling the cravings anymore. I wasn't, I never identified as an alcoholic, though I will call myself an alcoholic just to be clear because that's like the language we use and, you know, people are like alcohol use disorder what? and Or they don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I too think language is a big deal, but as far as considering myself in recovery, in a sense, I just felt like that was like a, a ball and chain I was having to tote around and something like I was having to take with me for the rest of my life. Like, oh, I'm in recovery. And again, I just felt like I was really healed and had overcome the addiction. And 
yeah, didn't feel the need to identify as someone in recovery because it, it wasn't, that problem was no longer a part of who I, who I was anymore. And yeah, it just, it kind of just felt like it was putting me in a weak place versus an, an empowered place of feeling like I'm well, I'm healed. Sure. You know, I have free choice. I could go out and get a bottle of whiskey and drink it, but um, I could also go get some heroin, but I'm not going to do that. You know, um, it's almost like it's an additional stigma, you know, exactly. It sets you apart from all other human beings who also have the same kinds of emotional problems or whatever, but it sets you apart from all other human beings that you have this unique problem that you will have to be in recovery for the rest of your life to deal with this problem. Yeah. And I think a lot about like weight loss. Like if someone's lost 20 pounds or not, like I'm a formerly obese person or I'm recovering from obese. Like, no, I lost weight and look at who I am now. And all we have is this moment. And so it's like, I'm recovered and anything's possible, you know, of course we could, we could relapse or whatever. But for me, I honestly feel like I'm relapse proof because of this method. Like I could, if I really wanted to drink, which I honestly haven't had a desire in a year and a half, but I could take the naltrexone and I would comply. I would, I would, I would never to where I was, but, um, yeah. So I really appreciate you saying it is this additional kind of stigma and label to put on things, but for me, that's, yeah, it's a part of my past. It's not who I am anymore. I love talking about it and sharing my story and spreading the word about this. But yeah, I, I don't consider myself in recovery. I'm not even really sure what that yeah, means. What to it me means anymore. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how, whoever came up with it, but yeah, see, I, there's all kinds of words that uh, are used by people who have had problems with alcohol or any other addiction and have come out of it. And, and it's usually language that has been imposed on, on them through society, through the 12 step um, programs. And I mean, that's the language. I mean, I tell, I'm telling you, I've had, I am still retraining my own brain to talk different, to talk differently about it. <laughs> yeah. How long were you in a 12 step program for? Can I ask? Um, I've been sober for 32 years. Wow. Yeah. I was going to traditional AA meetings for 25 years. Wow. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, um, at the, at around the 25 year mark, I really came to terms and realized I was an atheist, which really isn't a big deal unless you're in AA. Yeah. So I, uh, so I was really having a hard time with it. I felt like I was walking on eggshells. I couldn't, I was already kind of breaking out of the, the conformity that I had been in for so long. I realized now that the conformity was my way to survive at the time. Interesting. You know, I was, uh, I was a young person. I didn't really have anything. I uh, was afraid. And here were people who seemed to have an answer. Yeah. And I just felt like, um, okay, I'll become like that. Wow. So, but now it, it is funny that um, it's taken me so long to kind of break out of that mold. <laughs> Well, it's a powerful story you're telling now with your podcast and everything, because I think that not only in AA groups, but I think any group, we can just conform in order to fit in. And that's really giving me something to think about, too. Yeah, it really is important. I'm learning just to be myself and to uh, it's like it's it is very empowering to say, okay, I'm myself. I am me. I'm not necessarily like everybody else out there. Um, I do have a lot in common with people that have also had this problem but we're not all the same. Exactly. It's not like you have this personality that makes a person an addict. I don't believe that. I do think that there are, oh, 
you know, if you if you're like a certain type of an addict, like a gambler, uh, addicted to gambling or addicted to heroin or even or addicted to alcohol, there are certain aspects of that behavior that cause unique problems or unique situations, I guess, that you later on do have to deal with. But for the most part, I think we're like any other human being. We will have problems based upon just how we grew up or whatever, how our brain chemistry was organized. Absolutely. Anyway, let's talk about what you're doing now with your um, advocacy work and the community that you have with um, Embody Daily. Sure. So um, I started Embody Daily like two and a half years ago, basically like a month after I started on Naltrexone. It's a it started as my YouTube channel, Embody Daily, and then I created a website and now host weekly group calls with people um, and have volunteers that help me host those as well. They all take place online through Zoom. Um, and then I coach people one-on-one as well, um, just as people kind of find me. I don't really promote it, but if someone's looking for support, I offer that. But yeah, I started just kind of documenting my journey month over month. I was really hesitant to get that out there in the public eye because I wasn't open about my alcohol problem at all. You know, even my own husband didn't really know I had a problem. He knew I liked to drink, but I really hid it a lot from him and everyone. And I was in denial, like a lot of people are. And so for me to go public with it, I was like, oh God. But I really felt the need to just get this message out there because if this was working for me, I felt like it would be a terrible thing to keep it a secret. And so just started documenting my journey and then also started incorporating interviews with others who have been on the method um, and had success with it. And even I've interviewed one person who didn't have success with it and his reasons for that. And yeah, just kind of as I, as I went through the method and got through my own success with it and achieved sobriety, my videos kind of shifted into more my insights from my experience and like challenges and, and hurdles that are on this method. Because even though it's miraculous and amazing and how it works there are challenges that I think are surprising for people and breaking the habit is one of them and really getting to the bottom of why we're drinking is another because sometimes people can rely on the pill to do all the work and so that's been my work with my YouTube channel and that has really transformed into growing you know community online of people who I get emails all the time and messages from people saying oh my god I relate so much like you know everything in life is normal for them. Otherwise they're healthy, they're happy, they have this and that, but this drinking problem or, you know, really struggling with trying to quit or cut back. And so slowly but surely this community has built of people who are having success on this method and seeing themselves go from really, you know, heavy drinkers to someone who's able to control their drinking or able to give it up for good. So um, it's built, yeah, over the last few years. And it's really been amazing to, to connect with people and um, get the word out about this this life saving method. It's really nice because you have a combination of of uh, two really powerful tools. You've got first of all um, a scientifically proven way of removing the problem of the alcohol addiction, but then you have the support of other people who have had kind of a similar issue, and and you know that that you can all you know you can talk to and relate to with one another. I think that's just as important. Yeah, because it's there are very nuanced experiences to this method. And I think that's what I've tried to bring out in a lot of my videos is it's not just A plus B equals C. Sure, take the pill an hour before you drink and do that every time. But there are so many more nuanced things. You know, if you're 
drinking at home every night and you're taking the pill, you might find that you don't want to drink at home anymore because you've had enough pharmacological extinction sessions with that. But you go out with friends and you get too drunk and you're like, oh no, this isn't working. But no, you were just in a different environment. Um, maybe old habits are kicking in. And so you really got to you know, have these extinction sessions many times in all the different ways that you drink so that you can kind of unlearn that behavior or pattern that was ingrained in you for so long. And so it is very nuanced and it's amazing for people to be able to speak from their own experience and what's worked for them and what hasn't. Um, so, yeah. And then you also have coaching sessions that you make available on your site. Yeah. And, um, those are one-on-one sessions. And so, um, it's really just an opportunity for people to come and ask questions and, um, get guidance from me wherever they're at on the method. I feel like my skill set is really in like kind of like digging in deep and asking them questions because a lot of people might find that they're just stuck or they've seen success, but their drinking is going back up or, you know, they just want to know like the basics of how to get started. How do I do the first 30 days? And so um, I make those available to people who just want um, the help. And, you know, if I charge like 30 bucks for a half hour, $60 for an hour, but I always say if finances are an issue, I can work with people. And I also do like, emails obviously for free. So people can always email me with, with questions. I bet this is almost like a full-time job. I bet that, that this keeps you really busy. <laughs> it does keep me really busy and I have a full-time job. Yeah. <laughs> so I would like to do more with this. Like I haven't made as much videos lately and I've just kind of, I don't really do much with the coaching unless someone happens to find my website and book a session because it is, it's a lot of work and I feel like I'm always behind on emails and behind on YouTube stuff. So, but I, I love it. So it's, you know, a labor of love in a sense. And I, I wish I could devote more time to it. I just, um, at the time I, I don't have time because I have a, you sure you have other things you gotta do? Yeah. 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 Well, I've been podcasting for a while and I absolutely love podcasting. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a geek with all the technology and everything, uh, the screen behind me and so forth. I just, I'm just a total nerd about it, but I'm just now kind of getting into YouTube and we just started this, this YouTube channel. And so I, I love checking out all the other uh, YouTube channels and yours is really good. Was this the first time that you have ever done YouTube channels and YouTube videos? It actually wasn't. So um, I very amateurly, I did. I mean, I, I honestly, like I'm looking at your setup and I could do much better with mine, but again, I'm like, <laughs> I'm just going to do the best I can. Like if I make it too complicated and I have to edit too much, it's never going to get posted. So, but I did, um, I had a vintage company online a vintage retail shop online for a few years and i would make videos which i thought youtube channel still exists and i have like videos about handbags and old leathers and cleaning them but that's where it started and then um yeah i just i started making videos with oh that's interesting so you already had the underlying talent and then you just kind of use that with this advocacy i guess so you know i just i felt really compelled to make you like some people do written blogs but i just felt really compelled to put a video out there and it was like gnawing at me until I would do it. It was like every day I was like, you got to get that video. You got to. And so I've always felt inspired. Like I always make the video just when I'm inspired to do it. Well, we can uh, finish up by just kind of going over some resources that are out there. And you, you probably know some more than I do. One of the first, I guess, that I found was the C3 Foundation. And they've really improved their website, by the way. I think when I first, when I first discovered it, it was like more of a forum and there was like some information here or there, but now it's like, wow, it's just, it's, it's very well done professionally. And it's got a lot of, a lot of good information. And then of course, Claudia Christensen's film, One Little Pill. Yeah. 
which is uh, done really well done. Yeah. And so the C3 Foundation, they have a Europe site and then they have a site for the US and they have updated their sites this past year. So they look much better. And Claudia Christian, that's her nonprofit. And so she's also done the film and um, she has her TED Talk, which a lot of people find. And that's how they discover the method. It's called How I Overcame Alcoholism, um, which is all about this method. And she's also coming out with a book later this year called Journeys, which is people sharing their stories and Gary's in it, I'm in it about how we overcame alcoholism through this method. Um, he sent me a preview of his story. Oh, <laughs> I'm actually looking, I'm, I'm looking forward to this book coming out. I think it'll be pretty popular. I think that, uh, and I think it's a good thing to do. It's, it's nice. I like books and it's nice to sit down and read a book and relate to the people, to different people's stories from, from around the world. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, another book, The Cure for Alcoholism by Dr. Roy Escapa, which is all about the Sinclair method, and it goes into the scientific research behind it and the nuances of it. Um, and that was really the original. That That's where it all started with him, isn't it? Yeah, he knew Dr. David Sinclair, and he got the word out about this method. So it's a really helpful resource. And I have a PDF copy that he's given permission to send. So if people can't afford the book, I can always email the PDF. And then, of course, there's your website and YouTube channel, which I think is probably if there's any place to start that's probably the best place to start i think uh there's a lot of good information there and if you particularly want to just talk to people you know have a community of people that are doing this i think that's a it's a excellent resource yeah um yeah the weekly group calls are amazing we usually have about 20 or so people that join every week and then there's also there's facebook groups um for the sinclair method there's a couple different facebook groups that people can join if they search for the sinclair method or they can contact me. I can direct them there. And there's a Reddit group, medications underscore alcoholism, I think is what it's called. And then there is Option Saves Lives, which is an online forum. I think C3 Foundation started it, but it's more of a forum for people to post. I kind of always get a little bit lost in there. It's overwhelming with information, but if you want to dive into people's posts and information, it's a good place to go. Well, thank you so much. I, th- I think we're really fortunate today to have these options. There's there's a lot more than, than we have ever had before. I think that people are becoming smarter now about understanding addiction and, you know, it's not so black and white. I hope that it will become less stigmatized. Um, and I think as when more and more people like you come out and, and talk uh, independently uh, about it, you know, uh, from your yeah. own experience, I think that's really powerful. And, you know, there that will have a multiplying effect. There will be more Katie uh, people like you coming out. Yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. I know. I, I think so too. We got to get rid of the stigma because I think most people that are struggling are just everyday people who, you know, you'd have no idea if they have a problem, but they feel alone in their suffering. And so um, thanks to you for doing the work you're doing as well to raise awareness about different methods and just talk about options outside of the traditional AA 12 steps. That's another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support our podcast with recurring monthly contributions, head on over to patreon.com slash beyondbeliefsobriety or become a member of our YouTube channel. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, then visit our website beyondbeliefsobriety.com and click on the donate button. I do appreciate your support. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again real soon with another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety.